This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Crypto arbitrage was very much in the news this week with the Financial Sector Conduct Authority issuing a warning on OVEX and then withdrawing it within hours and followed this up with an apology the following day. This has certainly put the regulatory reach of the FSCA under the spotlight and perhaps it's time to take a good hard look at the legality of crypto arbitrage in all its various forms. In addition to that, we thought it timely to look at what are the risks of arbitrage and as well to look at the risks of trading with a particular exchange. To discuss this, we're joined by Vihan Olafia, who is a partner and crypto specialist at Mazars. Welcome back, Vihan. We've had you on MoneyWeb Crypto before, but it's good to have you back again. Arbitrage is as old as trading. It's where you identify price differences in the same commodity on different markets and seek to make a profit from that. For example, buying oranges cheaply in Limpopo and selling them at a higher price in Joburg would be one form of arbitrage, though you might call this straightforward trading. But when it comes to financial assets like Bitcoin, you can often buy Bitcoin 3 to 4% cheaper on overseas exchanges and then sell them on the local exchange in South Africa at a higher price. There's nothing wrong with this, is there? What laws could you possibly be breaking? Vihan. Kieran, thanks so much for having me. Uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here and I'm happy to chat about everything crypto and regulations are, are related. Um, but yeah, straight on to the topic of arbitrage. Um, as you mentioned, like arbitrage is, is, is as old as money itself and, and trading itself. Um, now, I think before we before we start to the process in regards to the, the laws and regulations applicable and how the process uh, works, it's, it's probably best explain um, what exactly arbitrage is, but to understand that we need to take a step back, uh, specifically referring to, to cryptocurrency arbitrage. Now, back in the day, a former colleague of mine uh, did arbitrage in his own name, where he essentially had to move cash from his South African bank account to his brother bank account in the United States, move funds there to an exchange uh, in the US, move the cryptocurrency back to South Africa, and then essentially liquidate the currency or the cryptocurrency for fiat currency. Um, so that whole process was a quite, quite a timely process, but I mean, the, the arbitrage market uh, was, was fairly big at that point in stage. Now, subsequent to that, uh, some of the overseas exchanges, of course, started to accept uh, South Africans as, as customers as well. There were some limitations with some of the exchanges. So there's a, a limitation with who you interact with, who you buy and who you sell from. And, and, and the majority of the time with some of those exchanges, it was limited to the, to the other individuals in your respective country. But of course, with the introduction of stable coins, uh, it was a complete game changer. So for those individuals that don't know what stable coins are, it's, it's a type of ERC-20 token. Uh, so it's, it's, it's housed on the Ethereum blockchain and essentially it's backed by a US dollar. So you look at a true USD or, or Tether, USDT, um, which is essentially a stable coin that's, that's backed one to one by the uh, by the US dollar. Now, of course, the question that always arises is, is you, you're referring to this uh, to about a three or four uh, percent difference. And, and the question is, why is there a market for it? Why are you able to uh, to, to utilize these differences in, in prices to, to make a profit? And I think for, for the investors to understand that, they need to understand cryptocurrency and, and how it's valued. And a lot of people actually don't know this, but there's no single Bitcoin price in, in the world. Um, the price of Bitcoin is determined by the specific exchange in a specific country. So in South Africa itself, we have several exchanges. Same in the US, there's several exchanges there. And the prices differ from exchange to exchange. And quite coincidentally, cryptocurrency is slightly more expensive in South Africa as compared to the US. And the same applied to, to Nigeria as well with the whole 
uh, rigmarole that happened there with the banks also saying that, that uh, financial institutions such as banks can't uh, interact with, with uh, virtual asset service providers. Um, that, that did cause a, a cryptocurrency such as BTC to, to trade at a premium of, of about 50%. But I think coming back to, to understanding how the arbitrage market works and how the transaction works, I just thought it might be good to try and explain the manual process of, of arbitrage. And also from there, you can easily identify what the risks are. So if you are looking to arbitrage um, cryptocurrency, essentially what you'll do is you'll take your, your money from your bank account, you'll move that to a South African exchange. So once the um, money is deposited into the, uh, into the South African exchange, it's reflected in your wallet. From there, you actually go and you purchase your stable coin. Of course, once you have your stable coin, you can transfer that out from your South African ex- uh, wallet to your overseas wallet. Now, once the, uh, the cash hits or the stable coin hits your overseas wallet, you can exchange your, your stable coin for a cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin or Ethereum. And once you've purchased that and you're happy with the process, or sorry, you're happy with the, with the price that you're able to get on the South African exchange, you transfer the cryptocurrencies back to South Africa and you liquidate that either for fiat currency or you take it back to a stable coin to, to just mitigate any possible risks. Uh, going forward. So that's how the whole process works from an arbitrage perspective. You can see it's a, quite a, a tedious process and a lot to look out for in terms of risk and, and timing. Therefore, there is these virtual asset service providers such as OBEX that facilitates this whole transaction and also mitigates some of the investors' risk to a certain sense as well. Now, some of the laws and regulations that we need to look out for is, is things like um, foreign exchange control, money laundering, but as well as, well as, as looking at the regulations from uh, South African Reserve Bank and uh, South African Revenue Services uh, perspective. So two of the other things that need to be taken into consideration when you want to do arbitrage is the, the foreign exchange control in terms of the money that an individual is allowed to take out of the country uh, during a specific period. Now, of course, you get your discretionary allowance. Each individual, each South African resident uh, gets his, uh, his or her discretionary allowance of, of one million rand um, that they can take money out of the country. And of course, that needs to be reduced by holidays taken overseas where you actually spend rands in, in another country, as well as you buying shares. Let's say, for instance, you go to PSG and you buy foreign shares. So it needs to be decreased by that amount. But once that is utilized, uh, you can move on to the the foreign investment allowance where you're able to apply for uh, 10 million rand foreign investment allowance that you can utilize for uh, cryptocurrency arbitrage as well. Okay, you've got 1 million rand, which is your, your discretionary allowance. You don't need any Reserve Bank approval for that. And then you have your foreign investment allowance, which is 10 million. You have to apply, get tax clearance from SARS for that. So you have per person, Correct. you have 11 million rand potentially per year. Let's just take a little bit of a deeper dive into the risks of arbitrage. It's often claimed to be low risk, but there are some risks involved. Maybe just talk about those. You've got exchange risk. I mean, you're basically leaving your money in the hands of an exchange. So you've got to trust that exchange in the way that they uh, look after your money and the way that they transact. But then you've also got other exchange, uh, 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 risks like a foreign exchange you know, if the mm-hmm. exchange rate changes, that can wipe out your arbitrage profits. You've got the, the, the crypto price exchange. If you're arbitraging with Bitcoin, there's a yeah. time delay between the time that you purchase the asset overseas and you ship it to South Africa. That can be an hour or so, maybe more. And the price yeah. can drop in that period of time again. So you do have some of these risks. You, you want to talk about that? 
Yeah, sure. So I think for any investor that, that's looking to, to, to arbitrage with cryptocurrency, they need to make sure that they understand the risk involved. Um, and I mean, if you think of it from an audit perspective, of course, we take on clients as well. There's a certain element of risk involved, but we perform procedures to mitigate that risk to an acceptable level. And investors need to do the same. They need to do their research, understand what they're investing in and, and how to best mitigate those risks. So some of the risk with these type of transactions uh, is the security risk, as you mentioned. The whether you're doing arbitrage for, through a service provider or you are using an exchange to arbitrage with, there's two two issues with the security. There's your own security, which is your username, your password, your second factor uh, authentication that you need to make sure that is in place. The, the second uh, issue of security is the specific exchange or the service provider security. Now, of course, there's no way possible for you to assess that from your end. You'll have to look at, at track records. Um, you need to look at something like expected credit risk. And, and a perfect example of this is, is in the auditing profession, financial reporting uh, profession, we look at expected credit losses. So each and every type of financial asset has a certain element of risk to us, and we can quantify that risk. So every asset, when you're cashing your bank account, you need to assess the, the risk uh, applicable there, even how low it is. It doesn't matter how low it is. Um, so inherent risk, there's the inherent risk of, of the Bitcoin price, Ethereum, uh, changing while the transaction is being facilitated. There's liquidity risk where um, you could possibly, you won't be able to exchange your uh, your stable coin for Bitcoin or maybe liquidate your uh, your Bitcoin back to a stable coin or maybe even liquidate your stable coin to, to a fiat currency. There's, as you mentioned, exchange risk as well. So when you use a stable coin as backed by a specific currency and then you also have that uh, issue that there could be a, a large increase or decrease in the price from a from a from a czar to USD perspective, so there's a fair amount of risk that needs to be taken into consideration. And as I mentioned, if you compare Bitcoin to Ethereum as well, there's that type of risk as well. But the same with stablecoin, you get uh, stablecoins such as True USD or Tether. And there's a reason why individuals prefer specific stablecoin is because of the risk involved, which is either or. Um, so there's that risk as well. But it, it it boils down to the fact that these individuals need to make sure that once you invest in these type of investments or you perform a specific uh, process like arbitrage, you need to understand your risk. And if you're working with a virtual asset service provider to, to facilitate it, you need to actually read through those terms and conditions to make sure that you understand the risk involved uh, when, when uh, you work with these service providers that perform arbitrage services. All right. I mean, cryptocurrencies have been on a tear this year. Ethereum has just, in the last month, has doubled. And the average price gain of altcoins in April was 47%. Bitcoin, by the way, in April went down 2%. I mean, that's not a, a mm-hmm. shocking drop, but it, but it is a drop. People yep. assume that this, these kind of gains will go on forever. And there have been major bear markets in cryptos in the past, and the last one being 2018 uh, for <laughs> Bitcoin anyway. People should probably study a little bit of history on this. Would you agree with that? that because that is one of the key risks, is price risk. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, so so one of the big issues with cryptocurrency, of course, is is the volatility involved. Now, I get asked the question a fair a lot where, where to invest and, and what to invest in, be it from a general perspective or cryptocurrency perspective. So investors need to make sure that they understand what they're investing in once again, but also all the other investments are intact. You first need to look at stuff like long-term investments such as retirement and be it through pension funds, retirement and annuity fund. Then you look at your medium-term investments such as shares, uh, which is a bit higher risk, but but not as, as high as cryptocurrency. And once you've satisfied that you, your portfolio is in a position where you are able to take 
uh, a more of a higher risk, then you can start looking at things such as cryptocurrencies. But once again, it comes back to the principle of don't forget about the volatility involved with, with cryptocurrency. These cryptocurrencies is extremely volatile. Um, and there's so many factors actually influencing the price of these cryptocurrencies. If you think about all the countries around the world, all the political views, the regulatory views that needs to be taken into consideration that has an impact on the price of cryptocurrencies. I think it was, uh, I think it was last month where, where Biden announced certain tax implications for, for Bitcoin that caused a, a large drop in, in the Bitcoin price. And, and that was only for US. It didn't affect us in South Africa, but it affected the Bitcoin price for us. The things you need to also consider is the market runs 24-7. So the market never closed. You can go to bed at night and wake up in the morning and you, your cryptocurrency investment portfolio might be 20% higher or 20% lower. I still remember back in 2017, I woke up in the middle of the night to check cryptocurrency prices uh, when we were experiencing that, that big boom. Um, the other thing that you need to take into consideration is uh, that it's unregulated in most countries as well. So there are some of these regulations and ban that could possibly have an impact on cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency prices. But it all boils down to what we've discussed previously in regards to when you're investing in cryptocurrency to, to take perhaps a longer view um, and, and take a, a long term stance. Say you're in it for five or 10 years or, or whatever, because it boils down to it's not timing in the market is actually time in the market. Um, and then just on, on cryptocurrencies like altcoins. Now, altcoins specifically, as you mentioned, we've seen a, a fairly large growth in altcoins of about 47%, uh, as, as you mentioned. Now, investors that look or looking to invest in, in cryptocurrencies such as these altcoins need to make sure that they understand what they're investing in. Is it just a fly-by-night type of altcoin? Uh, there's, there's a major hype around it. You need to have a look at what sets this cryptocurrency apart from the rest. Is there added security? Is there lower transaction fees? Is there actually a use case for, for this cryptocurrency? And, and sometimes it does raise a bit of concern uh, for me, especially with individuals such as influencers trying to, to hype up uh, a specific cryptocurrency without any cause or any real substance. Um, because that creates an issue where certain assets could be inflated above a price and then dumped just the next day. And it's a possibility for those influencers to, to actually manipulate the market. I mean, we've seen it as well. Uh, what a tweet from Elon Musk did to the, to the Bitcoin price. Um, what the comment of Elon Musk on, on Saturday Night Live. Uh, due to, to, to Dogecoin as well. So these types of things need to be to be watched as well. Um, but I mean, there's, there's various techniques for analyzing and, and assessing and predicting uh, what the price of, of Bitcoin is, is going to be or any cryptocurrency. But it is extremely difficult because of the volatility and because of the different elements involved. And the golden rule always remains is never invest more than what you're willing to lose in the end. Right. I think that's a fairly good sort of baseline position. You know, don't invest in cryptos unless you're prepared to lose it. When you're evaluating a crypto provider or a crypto exchange, you as an auditor, what are the risk factors that you're looking for? And I mentioned this in particular in light of the, the recent closure or, or not necessarily closure, the liquidation, the starting of liquidation proceedings around the Ice Cubed Exchange. Now, if you look at their terms and conditions on their website, this is not something that the average person is going to go and dig into. What does this actually mean? You know, if this goes down, what happens to my Bitcoin? Are these being yeah. held in trust on my behalf or does it form part of the liquidated estate of the exchange if it goes bust? 
This is something yep. that I think is going to come before the courts now in South Africa. But it is something that people need to start paying attention to. This is happening, of course, in an unregulated environment, which is probably going to change quite soon when regulations do come in. But this is what you're dealing with. A lot of these risks are unknown. Definitely. Yeah, so so from an audit perspective, the, the things that, that we tend to look at is the terms and conditions. Like, if I can give you a ton, uh, example, for terms and conditions, I don't even read the terms and conditions of my cell phone contract. But, but before I invest in a cryptocurrency or make use of a specific service provider, I read the terms and conditions because you need to understand what your risks are. You need to understand exactly how they go about securing your funds. And just maybe if I can t- touch on a couple of topics of the procedures that we go through to assess, first of all, the risk involved with a, with a specific virtual asset service provider, and then also things to look at from a security point of view. So some of the procedures that we perform um, as an auditor is, is we actually go to, to subsea the registrar of the Companies Act. We pull the information of a specific company, and the information such as the company name and the company number is usually included in the terms and conditions. We have a look at the amount of directors who the directors are. A single director is not necessarily a bad thing because we are dealing with a lot of startups where there's a single director, but it always does ask the question. And and I usually like to meet the directors as well. Unfortunately, we can't look at the shareholders or the financial statements of the company. In in the UK, for example, you are able to do that. But in South Africa, you can also have a look if they have actually appointed an auditor um, that is capable looking after the, the company's affairs. Uh, we do certain uh, money laundering procedures, but also to make sure that uh, these virtual asset service providers also perform uh, their own money laundering, uh, anti-money laundering procedures and know your client procedures. We look at media coverage, uh, where they market and how they market. Uh, and of course, we speak to a lot of different people in the industry. Um, and again, it comes back to determined conditions, reading that through that. How is your income being generated? Is it fixed? Is it variable? Is there a reference being made to some weird thing such as bot trading with no explanation? Is there something like cloud mining? So a lot of the times the, the guys hide behind these big words as well. Um, and, and most of the time it, it tends, uh, ends up be, being a scam as well. Have a look at the, at the company's view on regulations. Because I always ask myself the question is, what are these companies going to do when the industry is actually regulated? Um, are they going to, to jump around and, and try to, to, to make sure that they're adhering to all the laws and regulations, or are they going to be left behind? Now, personally, one of the things that I also like to look at as well is the cryptocurrencies they're dealing with. And they're, they're dealing with cryptocurrency, or the, the base of what the business is built on is using cryptocurrency that uses ring signatures or mixers or something of that sort to, to elude or to hide transactions. Uh, it also is a bit of a, a, a red flag for for me. But the main thing is, is that once again, you need to understand what, what you're investing in. From an audit point of view, our auditing standards tell us that we aren't able to necessarily take on a client unless we understand the business and we understand the, the industry that they operate. And the same applies to investing. Why would you invest in something if you don't understand it and don't understand the, the, the sector itself? And if, if I went and I knew nothing about cryptocurrencies and I decided I'm going to take on a client, um, and I could I could potentially cause more harm than and good in that instance. And and the same applies to your investment as well. If you don't know if you don't know what you're doing uh, with a specific investment, you're going to cause more financial harm to yourself than than any good. But I mean, coming back to to the security question as well. As you mentioned, these uh, virtual asset service providers and and custodians hold your cryptocurrency in in a fiduciary capacity. 
So there's an age-old saying in the industry, if it's not your keys, it's not your coins. Meaning if you aren't the holder of the private key to the public key address, it's probably not your coin. And a lot of these exchanges and custodians actually either hold your, your coins in a, in a public key address to which they've got the private key, or they hold your uh, assets maybe with an external custodian. So you need to understand what your risk is from that perspective. And it's quite interesting how these exchanges actually mitigate those risks. And, and it raises a couple of questions uh, in regards to IceCube, as you mentioned, in, in the whole liquidation process. So, so these exchanges actually make sure that only a certain percentage of the total funds is kept in, in hot wallets, for example, that has direct access to the internet and to the blockchain where a large portion is, is kept offline where there is no connection to the internet, so there's no single point of failure. And they also uh, apply multi-signature as well, where there is a maybe two or three signatures required to actually move funds out of a specific public key address. So you need to make sure that, that those procedures are applied by uh, by the specific virtual asset service provider. And that raises the question, of course, of, of, of IceCube. Um, so there was a lot of funds that, that couldn't be moved um, and there was maybe just nothing left in the public key addresses. So it raises the question, was this an error in the, in the case of security issues or was this actually fraud? Because I can't imagine that any exchange that's actually holding customer funds aren't putting in procedures in place to make sure that, that a certain portion of customer funds that doesn't need to be liquid, is kept in a safe and secure location. So that's definitely one of the, the things um, to, to, to look out for when dealing with these virtual asset service providers from a security point of view. All right. So I think a question that we get asked a lot at MoneyWeb is what are the reliable exchanges and service providers in the crypto space in South Africa? Now, I, I may be putting you on the spot because you haven't looked at them <laughs> at all, but if people are left out of this, they, they can complain to us, but give us your idea. Who, who are the reliable ones? Yeah, for sure. So I've, I've met a fair amount of people in the industry, and we've been uh, very fortunate up at, at Mazars as well to be appointed auditor of, of some of these exchanges. Um, so I can go through the list. The people that I've met, the institutions that I've dealt with, uh, where I also invest, uh, and also, of course, um, my clients as well, um, which gives me a bit of a more warm, fuzzy feeling because I see the inner workings. So from an exchange point of view, um, some of the credible players in the game is, is definitely has to be uh, Luno, Valor, and an altcoin trader. Richard D'Souza, you've had him on a couple of times, also a very knowledgeable guy. Um, and if you're looking to to invest in, in a, if I call it a balanced portfolio, uh, the type of investments that you can definitely look look at, or from a virtual asset service provider perspective, is is the likes of of Revix and and Bitfund. The, the nice thing that they have as well, they've got these balance funds. So as soon as a specific altcoin starts running and there's a significant increase, you get the, um, the, the upside to that as well. So you don't have to move around cryptocurrencies in your own capacity, keeping it in a wallet and try to, to get the upside as far as possible. Then, of course, from a uh, arbitrage point of view, um, Bala, of course, does arbitrage as well, but OVEX as well. Uh, the work they're doing at OVEX is really phenomenal. Uh, a, a bunch of clever guys there with, with the products and, and service offering that they've got. Um, more recently, I've also uh, dealt with uh, the guys at Sargo as well. Um, some really interesting concepts that they, ha that they have on their end, and I think it's really going to be a game changer, um, especially for, for financial service providers. Um, and then, of course, on, on overseas as well, exchanges that, that I've personally dealt with and, and utilized is Kraken and, and Binance as well. Right. And I think the one local company that you missed out was EC10. 
which does a portfolio type investment. If you want to invest in the top 10 cryptos, you could do it through Revix, you can do it through EC10. They're slightly different products, but both very reputable. No, definitely. And, and the thing is, what's great about South Africa, we're really spoiled for choice here. Um, and, and that's where if you come across a type of investment that you want to make or a type of service or product that you want to buy, and you're not getting that warm, fuzzy feeling, it's only a Google away to try and find a, a credible virtual asset service provider uh, that has that good track, track record that can, can render the same services that, that, you, that you, you perhaps need from, from your investment portfolio perspective. All right, Vihan Olafir, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on that and giving us the rundown on how we assess the risk and, you know, the legality of the, the crypto space, which is very, very Wild West pioneering type of area to be in. Thank you very much for that. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, Go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.